Fires burning, fires burning, draw nearer, draw nearer, in the glowing, in the glowing, come sing and be merry. I'm Ian Shanahan. And I'm Jade Harvey Beryl. And welcome to our Fireside Chat. Hello and welcome to Earthy Chats, Fables from the Field. This is our summer sub-series of Earthy Chats, where we're going to talk about our favourite outdoor learning equipment and resources as we share stories of our outdoor adventures, and sometimes mishaps, out in the field. Rain and water, when when a rain falls upon me, I think, where have you been? And that's quite a nice exercise you can do as well as a sort of grounding exercise or, you know, having a quiet sort of reflective moment. It's like listening to the sound of the rain bouncing off of your shiny waterproof clothes because we're in Canada and people wear them. You know, it just, it's like you say, for me, it's profound. Rain is magic. It's not a thing to be avoided. It's a thing to Living in the UK, it rains all the time, and that story I'm going to tell you about was going up to Scotland, where it rains even more, <laughs> and everyone's wearing like fashion coats. People are wearing leather. People are wearing <laughs> camel. You know, like that's like suede. People are wearing denim, and it's hammering rain. And so, yes, I think British people like to complain and moan about the weather, but it's just because they're not properly prepared. What's the umbrella scene? Like, if they're wearing, like, leather and denim, is it just no umbrellas, too? Well, you know, if you're in the city, it's quite unfashionable to have an umbrella. Like, you wouldn't possibly, you know, you've got to show off what you're wearing, even if it's going to be ruined. Um, But there is definitely more of an an umbrella. Like, you see more people with umbrellas than wearing sort of waterproof gear, I would say. Unless you went up into, like, the Lake District or onto a farm. Uh, and even then, it's not, like, what I would call fashion outerwear, like, technical gear that we live in. I'm not going to mention any brands here, but, you oh, know. of course not. <laughs> never, unless they want to sponsor us. But there it's, yeah, it, you know, you just see farmers in, like, I don't know, is the word a cagoule? Yeah, I think something like that. <laughs> you know, like, or oh, a sou'wester, like a big, shapeless, sort of oil-coated, you know, poncho-style thing. Yeah, basically um, a garbage bag. A garbage bag, but thicker, real thicker. Yeah. Um, And actually, you know, you'd wear them to go to what we would call football, but you would call a soccer match. And um, actually, my dad came to visit me here, like pre-COVID, of course, uh, and we went to uh, Dinosaur Provincial Park yep. uh, and over in the Badlands and uh, looking at all the fantastic uh, rock formations and things and where they found all the fossils. And my dad, being British, yes, doesn't believe in, in rain clothing. And <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's this guy that we went on another, I could tell you in the stories, we went on a, on a whale watching trip like a decade ago out east. And he was in shorts and a t-shirt 
just like, you know, in full, like shaking on the boat and someone like offered him a jacket. He's like, no, 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 I'm, you know, I'm British, I'm tough, we don't need jackets. But anyway, he comes here, it's raining like heavily. And I said, well, have you got, not got a rain jacket? He said, no, you know, it's it's like summer. I thought it'd be fine. Anyway, we went to um, a large superstore that maybe should sponsor us in the future that sells all manner of, you know, auto things and bits and pieces. And we ended up, and I bought one just because his looked so good, but in matching plastic ponchos. And so we had many a great picture of me and my dad wearing our matching like army covered ponchos and i thought that was actually quite nice i want to meet your dad i mean it's it seems like he has not been affected by our sort of societal shunning of rain or really any kind of inclement weather i mean if you try to think about sort of the classic weather it's whatever we experience inside so like 18 to 22 degrees celsius clear skies no precipitation like absolute maximum comfort and anything apart from that is shunned and you know that brings back to that famous concept of there's no such thing as bad weather there's only bad clothing and like even with quote-unquote bad clothing what's really the big deal about getting caught out in the rain and just like you know what this is what's happening right now i'm wet What's the problem? I, exactly. Unless you're, you know, deep, remote in the Arctic Circle, for example, and yeah. you won't be able to get warm afterwards. You're right. Um, I've had, I've been out with some of the kids when I've been teaching, and they're like, oh, but it's raining. And I said, are you made of sugar? You're going to dissolve if you get wet. And they look the wicked witch. <laughs> yeah, I do. And I'm like, ah, I'm melting. Um, but yes, no, they, they're like, oh, okay. I played, uh, there's a game that's, I don't know, I don't know if it's fashionable with the kids, but I've, it seems to be more and more prevalent in my area called Catch a Wave, where one person's here walking through the forest, everyone else is hiding. Uh, and if you are hiding and I see you, you are it, and you join a line behind me and we're walking through as a line. If, however, the person who's been caught behind me can spot another person who's already hiding before I, the person who is it, do, they can catch a wave from the person hiding. So the person hiding waves at the, the person in my line. And if they can sneak off back and hide before I see them do so, then they get to go and hide again. And so this catch a wave cycle just rolls through. Anyway, it was hammering rain, like hammering rain. But it's quite funny. If you go under the forest canopy of, you know, where we live, it's the interior cedar hemlock biogeoclimatic zone. Uh, lots of cedar. Ew. Oh, hey, I know words. You know, there's 14 of them. BC is so diverse. Biologically, they had to do 14 zones just for the forests that, you know, from the grand scheme, from a distance, sort of look the same. Uh, but they're so unique. Anyway, lots of cedar, lots of hemlock. Kids realizing that the better they hid, uh, the drier they were. And so it really sort of elevated the quality of uh, participation in the game because when they were hiding really well, they got to stay dry uh, rather than having to come and schlep behind me in my line. So sometimes, yeah, I don't know, rain can accentuate the activity that you're doing. It's not just a negative for me personally. Oh, for sure. And like, <laughs> we are water. 
water is the beginning of life or was the one of the necessary ingredients for the beginning of life, we really should embrace it. Just a little side note, you mentioned about the, the cedar forest, and I'm quite familiar with the western red cedars, which are magnificent, gigantic trees out west. Have you ever seen an eastern red cedar? I have not. They are the lamest, derpiest <laughs> trees. They're, they're not even a tree, really. They're a shrub, and they grow in these dry savannas. They grow, like quite a few of them grow right around where I live in southeastern Ontario. And I remember going out west and seeing the western red cedars, which, you know, are basically the same size as Douglas firs, which I think more people kind of know as like this big grand tree. And I was just like, wow, <laughs> not cut from the same cloth exactly. <laughs> little wimpy eastern friend uh, who sort of missed out on some of the nutrients there. I mean, we have some odd plants too and... Honestly, a lot of our large uh, Western Red Cedars are being bucked into small pieces of wood and sold uh, currently. So, you know, there's there's not that many of them left. Uh, so, yes, come, come and have a look before they're all gone. Hey there, folks. This is Ian, one half of the Earthy Chats host team. I'm just here to let you know about the Talking with Green Teachers podcast produced by Green Teacher. If you don't know who Green Teacher is, we are a non-profit network of environmental educators all around the world. You can join this network for only $32 a year. That includes a subscription to our quarterly magazine, which has been running in North America since 1991. All proceeds go back into the organization to help us enhance environmental literacy among young learners. For more information, check out greenteacher.com. You can find Talking with Green Teachers wherever you get your podcasts. All of the resources featured in this podcast, plus many more, for students and educators alike, can be found online at the Outdoor Learning Store. Visit www.outdoorlearningstore.ca to view what's on offer. From waterproof notepads to binoculars and dip nets to sit pads, the store has you covered to take your learning outside. In addition, there are educator resource books to help you take your outdoor education to the highest level. That's www.outdoorlearningstore.ca. We're Canada's non-profit resource store. I do feel that when when it is raining, like the forest for me is a beautiful place to be, but also next to water, watching water fall from one part of the hydrological cycle into the next and seeing, I feel like it's, a really beautiful way to visualize weathering for example and transport and the transformative nature of water i find that i've done some really amazing programs where we've been very wet outside and watching water uh, create or find the path of least resistance down through a sandy bank for example and i just yeah, an incredible way to visualize what's going on in the world. And so, yeah, kids, get, get your raincoats on. In fact, we do indeed have some very lightweight, packable, recycled ponchos in the outdoor learning store that work for kids. And also, if you are five foot two on a good day, you know, I'm like a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> like on a with a with a strong upward breeze i'm five foot two 154 centimeters if you will um if you are 
that size adult, the children's rain poncho will still fit you <laughs> because I have one <laughs> and I wear it a lot because it's pale blue and it's really quite fun. Yeah, you make a good point about observing water and, you know, water taking the path of least resistance to get downward. And that makes me think that, like, you really can't teach watersheds without actually being out there and observing falling water. And it, it maybe seems too obvious, but, like, I've been chatting with a lot of folks, you know, Sana van der Ross out in the Rocky Mountains, and she does a lot of work on watershed ed and produced that film. And it isn't really a frame through which a lot of educators do their teaching. I mean, I think within the environmental education circle, there are a lot more educators that do that. But when we think about geographic boundaries of places, I think it's still the political boundaries. You know, the boundary between BC and Alberta is kind of random and arbitrary when, when you think about it. And, you know, when I think of the larger watershed that I live in, the Great Lakes St. Lawrence watershed, my quote-unquote home is massive and it includes michigan and ohio and pennsylvania <laughs> new york and vermont and parts of quebec and the highlands up by lake superior but also the mouth of the saint lawrence where there are blue whales and sperm whales and where the saguenay river joins the saint lawrence and there's a population of belugas and i really consider anywhere in that watershed home and i'm sure for you in the Columbia Basin, it's much the same. Absolutely. I was actually just thinking about what the actual sort of area of the Columbia Basin watershed is. I will find that in a minute. But that's it. And I actually take a bunch of grade nines out every year to do a program with WildSite called Know Your Watershed. And yeah, grade nines, right? They're in that, that tippy-tappy. Yeah, yeah, eyes down, headphones in, and now everyone's got these little Bluetooth earbuds, right, that are slightly yeah. surreptitious and can be tucked in and it doesn't look like you're listening to music. It looks like you're listening to me, but you are not. And... I, you know, I had to, like four big groups, grade nine science, out to look at. We went and visited our drinking watershed, which for us is Greeley Creek. Uh, it's beautiful, untouched. Um, and didn't, you know, I learned as well from our water network experts here that until 1997, it was completely untreated, the water. And it was only because there was an outbreak of Gaiardia or Beaver fever uh, uh, that they. <laughs> Poor beavers, it doesn't give them a really good name, does it? Yeah. But until then, it was just natural. And what's funny is that adjacent to our drinking water watershed, we have a, you know, developed ski resort, uh, which does actually drain into another creek. And we looked and did some water quality testing there. And what started, you know, we had an in-class lesson to sort of prep for it and think about the kind of research and data collection we were going to be doing. And they were, oh gosh, it was getting blood from a stone. Um, it's lucky I'm extremely enthusiastic and refused to be, you know, ignored. But then as soon as we got out there and then, you know, give even 14-year-olds a little dip net and they're like, oh, this is this is quite cool. This is almost like a game. This is this could actually possibly interest in me. And then we started doing like dissolved oxygen tests and which you snap this vial and water mixes with this age reactant and then beautiful blue colours happen or even doing simple pH tests where the water changes colour, you know, along a scale of alkalinity. They were so engaged. They were so interested and we had like a really nice 
simple handout sheet that they could fill in and you know even the kids who were really not very interested at the beginning were like oh yeah that was all right which i think (laughs) is about the equivalent of someone saying that was a fantastic day um and there were actually a couple who were more effusive but we did have like gorgeous sunshine as well which i definitely think helps at some point in order for a certain age of kids, you know, to be like, oh, I'd rather be outside than be inside. But they were, you know, taking off their shoes and socks and wading in and previously had really not wanted to come at all on the field trip. So I do think the study of water and when you start to look into how connected water is you know i always tell whatever the age i always tell them that the water that you drink out of your tap is the same water that dinosaurs sipped out of puddles and they're like that's pretty profound it's the same molecules exactly it's you know nothing it's either created or destroyed in, in the laws it's just moved around and transported and i love the idea that potentially like like a giant squid you know like five meter long has been just puffing around through salt water that has evaporated and eventually rained down on me and and become part of my drinking water so i feel rain and water when i when a rain falls upon me i think where have you been and that's quite a nice exercise you can do as well as a sort of grounding exercise, even with like kindergartners or, you know, having a quiet sort of reflective moment. It's like, where has this rain been? Listening to the sound of the rain bouncing off of your shiny waterproof clothes because we're in Canada and people mm-hmm. wear them. You know, it just, it's like you say, for me, it's profound. Rain is magic. It's not a thing to be avoided. It's a thing to dive into that is really profound you mentioned about giant squids and that reminds me that one of the things i do to center myself if i'm feeling stressed or overwhelmed by the challenges of the day my go-to is to think that right now somewhere in the depths of the ocean a giant squid and a sperm whale are having a battle royale and then i feel better about everything (laughs) just going for it i like that and and nature is you know a bit brutal sometimes and that's it Uh, i just like to filter back in because i got my brain right nearly seven hundred thousand square kilometers is the columbia river basin so like you say terms of scale it could be the pond or the lake that you like to recreate in but when you when you size up to what's influencing where you live we're quite small in comparison to the to the way the water works. It's pretty cool. It is. We are the Columbia Basin Environmental Education Network, or CBEAM. You can visit our website at cbeen.ca. We are the regional network for environmental education in the Columbia Basin, supporting a community of engaged and effective environmental educators by connecting them to resources, information, professional development and networking opportunities. 
Stoked on Science, providing engaging, educational and fun programmes across the Columbia Basin. Is your school or organisation looking to develop your environmental programming? Connect your outdoor time more deeply to the curriculum or engage your students or teachers with unique programmes that go beyond the basic science topics, like delving into the history of the earth, how it's changed and where it's going. If so, visit www.stokedonscience.com to connect for environmental education consulting or to book programmes for your K-12 and adult professional development courses. I would say that sometimes your ability to work with the weather or with rain, for example, depends on the location of where you are in different places, you know, northern hemisphere generally you know it's going to be cool rain but it's going to be sort of clean and you know you you feel good about the water quality but I spent some time traveling through Southeast Asia many moons ago and uh, was out sort of exploring a Thai a jungle in Thailand and was on a on a moped which do you understand that term? Like a yeah. electric, oh, yeah. like a scooter. Yeah, a little scooter. <laughs> little really hair dryer. Okay, yeah, because we're really into that. And in Asia, they're everywhere. And what was hilarious is it was a rental, of course. I wasn't, I didn't own it, but they, none of the helmets, adult helmets fit me. So I had this like child's helmet, which was like the head of a turtle. So you could spot me from a mile off wherever I was. But I I'm love it. riding this moped through the monsoon. And something that always I found really fascinating is that uh, the monsoon is like a, a big flow of high altitude air, right? That's yeah. part of the jet stream effectively drags it and causes um, these very wet conditions that once a year come over from the west to the east over Asia and dump an enormous amount of precipitation there in these sort of daily diurnal cycles. What I found out is that the reason that that happens is because in the Cenozoic era, oh gosh, um, 200 million years ago, uh, the Andes, that's when the Andes uplifted. And so mm-hmm. the uplift of the orogenesis, the mountain building of the Andes, forced the air there, which comes off of the Pacific Ocean, to split around uh, the mountain ranges there. And that split creates this sort of pressure gradient that forces the air across uh, the globe and that's what effectively helps create this loop that keeps sending the monsoon over so that's another like huge scale of how our sort of earth's weather and climatic system is on these giant it's all interconnected but anyway back to my small little jungle i'm they had these sort of like you know beaten earth paths through the the jungle and just adventuring and it's raining it's hammering and there's sort of standing water all along this path and I'm just driving along and it all seems very fine and then all of a sudden what looks just like any other part of the very wet path turned out to be a hole filled with water and I kid you not this moped just it just disappeared and I sank (laughs) I sank to my neck again not very tall but sitting down the whole thing just disappeared complete submersion to my neck and then like had to swim the moped out of the puddle hole back onto land like luckily it worked I just, you know hadn't completely submerged and flooded the engine well when i was doing field work in costa rica i was oh, in lovely. the northeast uh, tortuguero 
And my friend and I were intelligent enough to go during the rainy season for six <laughs> weeks. And it was very, very rainy. Like we went about two weeks without seeing the sun. And there were multiple floods because we were along a canal, a palm canal, a Cano Palma, which was also the name of the biological station we were at, which is cool. associated with the Toronto Zoo. And whenever there was torrential rain from the highlands that would flow down to the coast in the lowlands and a canal right adjacent to the coast would be the first place to be swollen with water. So we had floods where the water level literally went up by a meter or more overnight. And suddenly there were crabs and shrimp in the garden. Whereas like a few hours before we were like walking on dry ground looking for butterflies. Oh, how cool is that? But one day we had to go out and do a mammal survey. And for the most part, when you're surveying for mammals, it's not like surveying for birds or insects where you're actually seeing them. Like mammals are secretive. Most of them are nocturnal. Even then they usually run away. They can smell you. They can hear you before you get to them. So you're looking for signs. And yes, you might get lucky enough and you might encounter some monkeys up in the canopy. But for the most part, you're looking for tracks. Well, if the water has risen by a meter and has completely flooded the jungle so that it's just about over your tall rain boots, it's very difficult to look for mammal tracks. Fortunately, some locals had the great idea of digging a trench that allowed a whole bunch of the water from the canal to outflow into the Caribbean Sea. So the water rapidly dropped. And surprisingly, we did get out to do the mammal survey and were able to find some tapir tracks. The, the Baird's tapir. I've never actually set eyes on one, but that was the closest I've gotten to seeing a tapir. And we had a motion sensor camera set up hoping to get it on there, but no luck. Yeah, it just <laughs> made us remember that, wow, the landscape can change on a dime with rain, particularly in the tropics. Absolutely. And what a magical thing even and you know maybe there's almost something positive about not seeing the tapir in that it's doing its job of being elusive it's doing its job of protecting itself from 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 predators you know if when if you can't find it then he's you know he's doing his his job right if i don't see one well that that's the experience that's how i experience that species and their livelihood and yeah i'm totally cool with that that's okay before we finish off, I have to hear your Scotland story. And you alluded to it earlier that Scotland is not particularly known for sunny skies and rain <laughs> is commonplace. And, well, I, I don't want to steal your thunder. You have a good Scotland story that, surprise, surprise, involves rain. Right. Yeah. Um, it's like we're following a theme or something. Um, yes, I was up looking at post-glacial landforms. So landforms that have... They're left behind after the glaciers have carved through, you know, the last mini ice age um, in Europe. We call it the Young Adrias, as around ten to twelve thousand years before now, where we had this cold snap and all of the glaciers grew, and that's what's responsible, you know, for the fertile soil of the UK and Northern Europe is the glaciers carving up all this land and aerating it. Although in Canada, no earthworms. They had to reintroduce earthworms yeah. to North America, right? Because the glaciers scraped them all away because the glaciers <laughs> were much thicker up here. But we're in Scotland. We're in the Cairngorms National Park. You get a train. You get a train. I've got a train from London in England all the way up into Scotland to Avonmore, uh, where they attempt to ski 
in the winters. I don't know if any Canadians would call it snow, but we're up there. It's the spring and it is hammering rain from, I mean, it just doesn't stop. It's just a deluge consistently. And and this was my first experience of actually purchasing waterproof gear for myself. Um, And then realizing that, you know, if you're out in it for six to eight hours at a time, that you do still, whilst you may not be like physically wet inside of your clothes, you will feel the moisture to your very core. Yeah, uh, but your we're soul out, is wet. If the soul is wet, yes, that's it. The, 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 you feel like your bones are sort of disintegrating, like they're being eroded by the water. Uh, and it was also quite chilly because you get lots of wind up there as well. So rain plus wind, wind chill factor, slightly miserable field work you know first year of university sort of like oh is this is this what geography degree is gonna be just getting freezing cold on the top of mountains but it was really fantastic because we were looking at all of these sort of bowl features at the top of mountains which are where cirque glaciers little glaciers used to sit and, yep. and carved out and in scotland we have a lot of these things of trim lines as well where you have the exposed rocky area towards above and uh, these very distinct horizontal band lines, almost like a sort of tide mark uh, on a swimming pool or um, of where the ice reached its maximum level and then when it decreased and moved again. And it's it's the most incredible place to be when you're looking. Um, but we're extremely, extremely wet. There's about 18 of us, I think, maybe less, somewhere around there. And we've been out in it all day and we we see this pub on the horizon at the end of the day and you know like we must go there you know and and sort of university professors like, oh well you know we don't normally go to the pub i was like we're going to the pub and we get in there and it is like a roaring log fire and locally sourced stone like slate fireplace that's the size of most people's living rooms and some very awkward locals sort of looking at us you're not you're not from around these parts are you and this bedraggled gaggle of you know 18 19 year old drenched students with their right in the rain notepads and their pencils looking very sad anyway they took pity on us and created a space for us and the amount of moisture that was coming off of us, I don't know if anyone's ever made like an ecosystem in a jar where you put sort of a living plant in with soil and spray some moisture, you cap it off and you end up creating your own mini hydrological cycle if you get some sunlight yeah. on the jar and you get these condensation, um, you know, the circulation happens. Well, we created, like it was almost created a cloud inside this pub there was so much moisture in there coming off of us that we you could see the water condensing coming off us in in huge steaming waves and then it was almost like it was raining in there again like i mean the poor land landlord must have been thinking get out of here and of course we were all legal so you had to do we did a shot of whiskey or whatever which makes me feel ill just thinking about it (laughs) but that's i mean that's how good field work ends you Slightly miserable when wet and then feeling very buoyed uh, at the end and, and heading back out. And we got back to our, it was like a bunk cabin, I think. Very, very um, simple lodgings, but a hot shower and it was ideal. But yes, raining outside and also raining inside in Scotland sometimes. So very fun. 
That is one of the most Scottish stories I think I've ever heard. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> it, it was very, it, yeah. I felt like we'd really um, experienced the true Scottish feeling. It was, yeah, we, we were privy to it. But yeah, I think always, like you said, no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothes. And if you just prepare yourself, and I think that I feel like they're really high-end waterproof gear of which there exists um, but it doesn't have to be that way right you can find simpler options that will work and yeah it's a really good idea to have it yeah embrace the conditions embrace the discomfort it's amazing how it can empower you and what it can reveal about the role of water in the hydrological cycle and beyond beautiful go outside when it's raining Thank you for listening to Earthy Chats, Fables from the Field. You can access all of the equipment we feature in the show at www.outdoorlearningstore.ca. We hope you enjoy your own field adventures this summer. Take care. And I'm very intrigued by this sentence with our, or it's not even a sentence, just the phrase with our evaporative presence. And the fact that the context of that is a Scottish pub has me <laughs> endlessly interested. So I'm very excited about that anecdote, that coming anecdote. Well, I mean, I'm British, aren't I? So rain is pretty much just our standard lifestyle. Everything is related to the rain.